Good morning. My name is Krista and I have the privilege of reading the Bible for us this morning. Um, And the reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 1, going through to verse 11. Well, 2 Chronicles, 2 Corinthians, sorry. I'm on the wrong page. All right. 2 Corinthians, starting at chapter one of chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia during a severe trial brought about by affliction. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that, according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we hoped, instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should complete, also complete among you this act of grace. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence and in your love for us, Excel also in this act of grace. I am not saying this as a command, rather by means of the um, diligence of others. I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this manner, matter I am giving you advice, because it is profitable for you who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now, also finish the task, so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion, according to what you have. Thank you, Krista, and good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you. Please keep your Bibles open to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, why don't we pray again for the Lord to help us as we consider his word this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for your great love for us. We are so deeply thankful that we are recipients of your grace. Uh, May you awaken us again to the wonder of that good grace today. We ask this for our sake and Jesus' glory. Amen. Well, in 2012, uh, my parents came to visit us in Port Macquarie. We'd just moved into a house with grass for the first time. And it was growing really well. My dad arrived and he looked around and he said, we're going to Bunnings. So we drove to Bunnings on the other side of town and we went to the mower aisle and he said, pick one. Now, being an expert in mowing, I picked a red one because they go fast. He grabbed a snipper and an evil blower and he paid for it all. He said, enjoy, and the next day left back for Sydney. I remember that act of generosity every time I open the shed and I see those three things lined up there. His grace, that free gift reminds me to be generous. 
Now, I'm sure you can all think of a time in your life when you've received grace, a generous, undeserved gift. Maybe it was someone who just bought you a meal when you really needed not to cook. Maybe it was someone who paid a bill for you when you had not enough. Every single act of grace helps with a need. It generates thankfulness. But even more, the generosity of others, it loosens our grip on stuff and compels us to be generous to others. Because grace unlocks generosity. Now, generosity, it's hard. There is a little bit of golem in all of us. We hold our money and our stuff very tightly. For Christians, money is often the last area of our lives that we allow Jesus to influence. And that's because no amount of guilt and no obligation will create Christian generosity. Only God's grace unlocks generosity. Well, generosity, it was one of the challenges being faced by the Corinthian church of which the letter we're reading about here this morning. They were a very young group of Christians and they were seeking to follow Jesus in a very self-obsessed materialistic culture, a little bit like modern day Australia. And this group of Christians, they loved money. They loved the status and security that money promises. But the gospel had begun to make a difference in their life. They'd heard news from Paul, the apostle who had brought them the gospel. And they'd heard about from Paul that way down in Jerusalem, in Israel, there were Christians 2,500 kilometers away who were deeply, deeply suffering and in need. And the Corinthians said, we want to help. We're so eager to help. And Paul, he was traveling along that red line, collecting a gift, a financial gift to take to the churches in Israel. And the Corinthians said, we promise to give to that gift. Yet their eagerness had not turned into action. They were stuck at good intentions. And so Paul wrote this letter and part of it was to unlock their generosity. And as we heard it read by Krista, there was no guilt. There was no command. What Paul does is reminds them of God's grace. Because grace unlocks generosity. And he says three things. He says, look at them, look at Jesus, then look at yourself. Have a look at verse 1. Verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overwhelmed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Paul says, let's go 400 kilometers north to another group of Christians called the Macedonians. They were going through a very difficult time. They were experiencing famine and opposition, which meant they lived in extreme poverty. 
Extreme poverty means you have no spare food and no spare money. Yet incredibly, Paul reports, the Macedonians had given generously to that gift that Paul was collecting for Jerusalem. This would be like the church in Stuart Town giving five times what OEC gives to mission each year. If you heard that, you would go, what has gone on for that church? And that's what the Corinthians are asking. What happened to the Macedonians? And the answer is in verse 1. You see it there? They had received the grace of God. They were recipients of Jesus' abundant mercy through what he did on the cross. His grace means they had peace with God. The Holy Spirit lived in them. They were forgiven people, their guilt removed, and they had eternal life, which means death held no fear. If you looked at the Macedonians externally, they were poor and unstable, but internally, God's grace had made them rich beyond measure, and it could never be taken away. And it was that grace that had unlocked the Macedonians' generosity. We read their abundant joy in God had overflowed into the generosity for others. We read nothing could stop them participating in what Jesus was doing across the world. And that was also an aspect of God's grace because they got to share with others. How did the Macedonians move from having good intentions to action? We see it there in verse 5. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. That order really matters because if you get that order backwards, you can think your financial giving gets you closer to God. But the order is this. God gives his grace abundantly. Then in response, Christians, we give ourselves 100% to God. We declare Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of my mind and affections, my goals and dreams, my present and future, my time and my finances. We all know that beautiful hymn, Take My Life, My Moments and Days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. And only after we've given our life to Jesus, then we sing, Take My Silver and My Gold. You see, the Macedonians had received God's grace and given themselves to God. And that led to generous financial giving. They didn't give to earn God's favour. They didn't give to gain influence in church. Their giving was the overflow of a heart that was so full of God's grace that they could do nothing but give. And so they gave generously. We read in, verse, in chapter 8, they gave at cost to themselves. 
Now, don't think that they then went into debt or they used their credit card to give. They didn't do that. What they did is they willingly gave up their only meal for the day so they could contribute to the Jerusalem gift. And they didn't do it because they had to. Look at verse 4. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. They begged to give. I love this verse because it's a bit backwards, right? The role of the apostle and the church is the wrong way around. The Macedonians are begging the apostle for the privilege to be able to give and serve others. This is not obligated giving. This is not command-generated giving. This is grace-shaped giving. They're a wonderful example of how God's grace unlocks generosity. God gives so much. And if you have tasted even a tiny bit of that, then it will overflow to others. Not just theoretically. You won't just nod along today. It won't be just some leftover money when on a Friday afternoon you think, I'll give a little bit of my leftovers to God. No, no, no. God's grace creates joyful, intentional, sacrificial giving to the Lord and his people. What do you think the response was when that letter was read out in Corinth? Were they thankful? Were they regretful? Were they inspired? We don't know. But after looking at one example of generosity, Paul moves us to the supreme demonstration of grace. Have a look at verse 9. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus is the greatest giver. Jesus' life did not begin at the first Christmas. The Son of God is eternal. The Son of God has existed for all time with the Father and the Spirit, and he is rich beyond measure. The Son of God is more glorious and more powerful than we can imagine. In Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 20, we read that all things were made for the Son and by the Son. Before the very first Christmas, everyone recognized the Son. Every angel treated the Son as he deserved. The Son was free of evil. The Son was secure. The Son was enthroned in glory. And then God the Father said to the Son, I want you to go to earth to save the world. I want you to take off your splendor and put aside your position and become human like you and I. And the Son of God said, yes, for he always willingly obeyed his Father. At the very first Christmas, the Son of God was born as a baby called Jesus. He didn't stop being God. Jesus was fully God and fully human, yet things changed for the Son of God. If a camera followed Jesus' life, it would never say Jesus was rich. From birth, he was unwanted by King Herod. 
in that three years before his death, he was misunderstood, rejected, opposed. He was insulted, hunted, laughed at, used, abused. He was let down by his family and his friends, and he never had a home. He's not rich. We get a very powerful picture of the journey of the Son of God in the upper room hours before his death, when Jesus took off his clothes and washed his disciples' feet, a task no Jewish slave would do. And then on the cross, Jesus became poorer. He became physically weak, unable to move his hands or feet. He was alone. There was no family, no friends. He was separated from God the Father. And he hung on a foolish cross. Why? Well, three chapters before, we're told this. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became poor so we might become rich. It's the great exchange. We give Jesus our sins. He gives us his righteousness. Jesus faces our fair and just punishment on the cross and we stand before a holy God, acceptable, not guilty. Jesus goes to the cross and is raised from the dead so we can have a relationship with God forever. This is God's grace. It is the free gift to anyone who calls on the name of Jesus as Lord. It is not something you ever deserve. It is God's incredible love for unworthy people. You see, Jesus became poor so we might become rich. Jesus is the greatest giver. His grace saves and his grace never leaves us unchanged. It always unlocks generosity. And so finally, Paul says to the Corinthians, you've looked at the Macedonians, you've looked at Jesus, now look at yourself and look for the impact of God's grace. Have a look at verse 11. Now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. Paul challenges them to follow through, to complete the task, to go from good intentions to action. Why? Because Jesus did not stop at good intentions. He didn't say, I want to love you. No, he died on the cross. Likewise, this is an important moment for the Corinthians to show the genuineness of their love. Have a look at verse 8. I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. 
Now, I think Paul here believes their love for Jesus is genuine, that they are not just Christians in name, but the evidence of genuine love for Jesus is a life transformed by God's grace. The abundant mercy of God does not ever leave a human being as a selfish, money-loving Christian. It cannot do that. It is impossible that to receive the grace of God and be a selfish, money-loving Christian, those two things can't work because God's grace releases our hold on money and it prompts us to be generous like Jesus. As James says, faith and action go together. Now, this was a big struggle for the Corinthians. We know from Paul's letters that they were very self-focused. In verse 7, you see him say, Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, we've seen that pattern many times in the Corinthian letters. We see it in the beginning of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. And it's not a compliment. It's a little bit of a subtle dig. Because their faith, their speech, their knowledge was all about themselves. They prided themselves on having strong faith, eloquent speech, superior knowledge. They had used 1 Corinthians 12 spiritual gifts to puff themselves up, not to love others. Their priority was their local church, not what helped others. So Paul challenges them in verse 7. Excel in generosity, just like your saviour. To look in the mirror and go, I excel not just in what benefits me, but in what benefits others. Well, 2 Corinthians 8. Has Jesus unlocked your generosity? It's a question I've been pondering recently for myself. When I became a Christian at 17, it made no difference to my bank balance. I can remember being a Christian for the first time, having the giving bag, the old giving bag, passed along and complete panic when I was scrounging for coins to put in it. Looking back, I was giving God my leftover money. Through my early 20s, as I got different jobs and more money, my generosity became even more locked because I knew I should give, so I did, but it was stingy and it was dutiful. Shamefully, I remember thinking it's up to the wealthy people of my church to fund the budget, not me. Thankfully, God unlocked my generosity in my mid-20s. It was a mixed young adult growth group. We were reading 2 Corinthians and one of the cheeky 18-year-olds asked the leaders, okay, how do you two give? And the leaders didn't avoid the question. They didn't talk theoretically. They stopped the Bible study, they opened their computer and they showed the whole growth group what they did each year. How they gave to God and his church before they paid their mortgage each month. How they gave to God before they made their holiday plans. 
how every month as the money was taken out, they gave thanks to God in prayer. And as they looked at that number, they told us we fight the temptation every month to compare ourselves to other Christians because it's never about that. That night was life-changing for me because I saw how God's grace unlocked giving. Has Jesus unlocked your generosity? It's not theoretical. Because after church this afternoon, you can look at your app, at your bank balance for the last 12 months, and you can see if grace has unlocked your generosity. Yet we find this question really hard to answer because we love money. We love the security it provides and the value it gives us and the opportunity to get our wants. And we don't want that threatened. And so we say things like, money is my private business. Now, as you hear me say those things, it's embarrassing, isn't it? But it also helps us see that we need God's help to unlock our generosity. Because if we are holding really tightly to our money, we are missing out on the joy of overflowing the generosity we've received in Jesus to others. It's also a challenge, isn't it? As we consider the genuineness of our love for Jesus. 80 years ago, an English minister said this, nothing offers so practical a test of our love for Christ or for others as does our attitude to money and possessions. The world asks us how much we own. Christ asks how we use it. The world thinks more of getting. Christ thinks more of giving. The world asks what we give, Christ asks how we give. The world thinks of the amount, Jesus looks at the motive. To the unconverted, money is a means of gratification. To the converted, a means of service. To the one, an opportunity for comfort. To the other, an opportunity for worship. Commitment 2024 is a time when we remind ourselves of God's grace and then we make a commitment under God with his help to give generously. And so we start Commitment Month 2024 by asking God's help to unlock our generosity. Three things for you this afternoon. I challenge you to be honest, to turn the lights on on your heart and your giving. A mentor of mine once challenged me to write a one-page letter to God on my attitude to money and then compare it to my bank balance. It was very challenging. Spend some time looking at what you've spent, saved and given regularly and given in one-offs over the last 12 months. And then pray through that with the Lord because grace unlocks generosity with honesty. Secondly, receive God's grace again because God is the abundant giver. Whether you're going through a great trial or an easy time, whether through doubts or through growth, you are rich because Jesus has given you forgiveness, adoption, the Holy Spirit 
and hope. And so as you sit with the Lord and walk with the Lord this week, receive God's grace again. Enjoy his mercy and love and assurance again and again. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But God gives it abundantly. And as you receive his grace, it will well up in praise of God. It will well up in thankfulness to God. And what you'll notice is your fingers will become relaxed around your money. Because grace unlocks generosity. And finally, act on what you know. If you are a Christian here this morning, your generous giving is as much a part of your worship as your singing this morning and the ministries you lead. So as we give, we express our trust and our gratitude to Jesus. And God calls us to give generously to our local church and the mission of Jesus in the world. You know, it's not something you have to do. Your giving is never a payment for services at church. We give because we've been given so much. And we give because nothing will stop a Christian wanting to invest in what God is doing in the world. Will you pray with me? Oh God, you are so generous to us. We cannot see how much you've done. And so we sit here as your people this morning saying thank you. May that grace unlock our generosity. In Jesus' name, amen.